And so we're going to begin this morning as we look at uh, some passages in Scripture. We're going to talk about the gift of a father's love, the gift of a father's love. And one of the things I know uh, in my life and those that I've met throughout my life, um, the relationship to the father, your father, is one of the most important and impactful relationships in your life. I know that a father's love can bring hope, it can bring joy, and it can bring peace. I also know the lack of a father's love can bring depression and fear. And so it's an important relationship, it's an important position that God has established, and I think it's important for us to recognize that God was very intentional when he chose his earthly father. Now, every one of us in this room, we did not choose when we would be born. We did not choose where would we, we would be born. We did not choose any of those things. Those things were given to us. There's only one person, and I was thinking about this week. It's very interesting. There's only one person that got to choose who their father and mother would be. And so out of all the history, out of all the people, God chose two unique people to be his parents. And I think that's an important thing to consider. And one of the people that he chose was Joseph. And so we're going to look at that this morning. Now, some of you are fathers. Um, We all have a father, whether we know him or not. But I know for me, uh, I was very fortunate to have a very wonderful father. Uh, I feel blessed, the father I have. And I never really knew what it would be like to be a father. I never even thought about it until I became a father. And I think the one thing that is the most dramatic thing I've learned as a father is that the way God creates you as a father is you can recognize, you can recognize how powerful it is to love someone more than you love yourself. With your spouse and your children, it is a powerful thing to know. And I look back over, over my life and I, and I remember uh, when my son was about three years old And uh, we had a bed, and on the outside of the bed, there was a wooden frame. And he was playing on the edge of the bed, and he fell and hit his face and knocked out his front three teeth. And so we had to rush him to the emergency room, and they didn't really know what to do. And I'm telling you, it was probably more traumatic for me than it was for him. I don't even know how much he remembers of it, because he was so young. But I remember it very distinctly. And it was overwhelming. And it's one of those things, as you as a parent, you know this, that you would much rather something happen to you than to your children. And when something does happen to your children, it is overwhelming. It can cause a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress and a a lot of pain within your heart. And I remember just that, that, that moment of just saying, God, please help us. Please help us. And uh, things are okay. He's fine now. Uh, I remember for the next year, everyone would say to him, I bet you want your two front teeth for Christmas, don't you? Because all you want for Christmas is your two front teeth. And so we were happy when his teeth grew in because he didn't have to hear that anymore. But the love of a father, the love of a father, every single one of us in this room knows the impact of a father, either in a positive or negative way. And so we're going to look to God, and I want to know, God, why did you pick Joseph? Out of all the men that would ever live on this planet, why Joseph? What was it about Joseph that God made the decision to choose him to be his earthly father? And so before we look to God's word, let's precede it with prayer. Father God, you are so good. We are so grateful that we get to worship you this morning. 
And Lord, as we talk about uh, your earthly father, Joseph, and we think about our earthly fathers and our grandfathers and the people that have made impacts in our lives, we ask you, Lord, to protect us. We ask you to encourage us. And we ask you to mold us and mature us into what you would have us be. Lord, there are so many distractions this morning. There are so many things that are going on in this world. We have an enemy of sin within us. We have the sin that, that lives and, and the enemy that is without us. And we have a messy time. And, and, and Lord, there's so much. But we know, Lord, that you are the God of all creation. Help us now. Help us right now to focus our hearts and our minds. Lord, there are noises, there are people, there are appetites we have, there are thoughts that we will have that will pull us from you right now. I pray in your name, I ask in Jesus' name that our focus would be on you. Every one of us in this room, our focus would be on you, that you would speak directly to us. Lord, we trust you. Grow us now, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start where it all started in Genesis, chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, it'll also be on the screens. We're going to look at the very first father, and we're going to learn some interesting things from that first father. Genesis chapter 3 picks up. God has created the world. He's created all the animals. He's created all of the things of the universe, the stars, the sun, um, everything that we know. He's created. He's created man in his image. He's created woman. He has created a place for them to live in a garden that is beautiful. He has walked with them. He has talked with them. He has befriended them. And yet there's another being that seems to be uh, mischievous and deceitful, the serpent. And somehow there's a, there's a tree that God has told them not to eat from, and some reason they're hanging near that tree, and the enemy of God is near that tree, and that's where we pick up in verse 6 of chapter 3. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. What did she do next? She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made a covering for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to them, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I have commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And so the very first husband, the very first man, and then we know later he becomes the very first father, this is how he deals with the first point of adversity in his existence. And so what do we learn about the first father? What do we learn about the first husband? First, I believe we learn that he is passive. He is passive. He's there. He's at the tree. He's seeing what's happening. He's hearing what's happening. He knows what's going on. It's not as though he was somewhere else doing something else, naming some more animals or something. He was there. 
And yet there's not one account where he butts in and gives any uh, advice or, or any concern or he just lets it go. And we find that the very first man is passive. And then when it comes to being caught, what is he doing? He's hiding. He's hiding from God. He's hiding from his sin. And then when confronted with his sin, what does he do? He blames Eve. He blames his wife. He takes no personal responsibility. He says, look, it's her fault, it's your fault, it's the Satan's fault, it's definitely not my fault. Anybody but me. The very first dad, the very first husband, this is how he deals with adversity. This is how he deals with challenges. And thirdly, I believe he followed he followed Eve, who was following Satan. So he's third on a very bad list of people to follow at this time. He was not leading. Do you recognize as we see how God created the universe and he said everything has a purpose. I don't waste anything. Everything is here for a reason. Uh, the whole universe is finely tuned. And, and man, I'm giving you responsibilities. Woman, I'm giving you responsibilities. And I expect you to do them because this is the way it's going to work. And if you don't do it this way, we call it sin. And it's going to throw everything out of whack and you're not going to like it. And one of those things was God put man in a position of leadership. I want you to lead the animals. I want you to help your wife. I want you to help your children. I want you to lead well. I want you to be a good leader. And when Adam is given the opportunity to be a good leader, to lead, he's passive. He passes the buck. He doesn't take responsibility. And so what is the result? What is the result of the first father, the first husband? What is the result of his choices, the consequence of his actions? He receives punishment. What else could he receive? Could he receive a reward? Could he receive a recommendation? Should he get cup, best husband, best father? No. When given the opportunity to be great, he chose weakness and fear. When given an opportunity to do something, to live into his purpose, he rejected it and walked away from it. I believe today this is one of the greatest challenges of our time, is that we're following our Father's footsteps. We're following our Father's footsteps. And as a father, I see the challenge of being passive, blaming others, and following the crowd. is one of the greatest issues of our time. There is a pandemic that's greater than COVID and it's husbands and fathers that are passive, blaming everyone else and following whatever instinct they have other than Christ. And so this morning, on a happy note, on a happy note, we can change these things. We can give Christ the gift he deserves for his birth the birthday present he wants most. We can pray for it, we can encourage it, and we can look for it in ourselves. Because we're given an amazing example. As we turn over to Matthew chapter one, verse 18 through 19, we hear a very different story of a very different father. 
This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a what? Faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what you conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And so I come back to the question, why did God pick Joseph out of all the people that ever lived, out of all the men on this planet, why Joseph? Why Joseph? And I believe we see the answer as we read the story. First, he did not passively walk away from the problem. He rejected passivity. He said, there's an issue, there's a problem. I need to deal with it. I cannot turn away, I cannot hide, I cannot blame. I need to take responsibility. And so he accepted responsibility. What did he accept responsibility of? It is easy for us to see a manger scene. It's easy for us to remember this beautiful story of Christ being born. But I don't think any of us would want to live it. He lived in a time when unwed pregnancy was possibly the worst thing that could happen to you you would be disgraced for the rest of your life. You would be known by that. That would be your identity. And so here, Joseph, a faithful man to the law, a righteous man, we're told, finds out that his bride-to-be, and in this time, once you are betrothed, once you're engaged, that is equal to marriage, and you actually have to get a divorce for that to be uh, nullified. And so the one that he has committed his life to, the one that will be his wife, he finds out is pregnant. And what or who is she pregnant from? She says, the Lord, from God. That is not easy. Try explaining that to your friends, your parents, your loved ones. No, 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 it's not what you think. It was God that did this. Who would believe you? And so he recognized the challenge before him. He recognized the severity of it. And even in that, he had every right to have her put to death, to say, look at this woman. She needs to be punished severely. And yet he didn't. He accepted his position. He accepted responsibility. And he led courageously. Think about all the adversity he had to go through. First, dealing with the fact that his wife is pregnant and he can't truly understand it. Then he is told in a dream by an angel that this is from the Lord and now he's responsible for the Messiah. You know, you may be responsible for a pet. You may be responsible for some flowers or a car or a house. Try being responsible for Jesus. 
Responsibility at its max. God has chosen you out of all the people to be the one who takes care of him as a human. That is enormous. And so... Here he finds himself, the census has been taken. He has to leave home in Nazareth, go to Bethlehem. I've been there. It is not an easy journey to take. Getting there, finding no place to stay. He could throw in the towel. It's not working out. Everything is against me. Everybody's against me. God doesn't even care about me. He put me in this horrible situation. He could have quit. He could have walked away, tried to start a new life. But he didn't. He didn't. He kept moving forward. His son, the reason that that Herod is trying to kill all the babies is because his son has been born. And so now he has to flee to Egypt and take his family and protect and provide and lead them to Egypt. And then in Egypt, he has to listen to the Spirit of God. He has to be in tune to the Spirit of God, knowing when to return to Nazareth. And then when he returns to Nazareth, it's his responsibility as the father to train up his son in the ways of God. And we're told later that the practice of Jesus as a young man was to go to the synagogue and be trained in the words of God. Joseph was consistent. Joseph was a leader. Joseph took the responsibility of being God's father seriously. And because of this, he received the greatest reward. He received the greater reward. You know, all of us that know Christ will exist eternally in heaven. It's an amazing thing to consider. It's a beautiful thing to think about. But none of us will be remembered as the father of Jesus forever. He will be remembered eternally as the father of Jesus. Why? Because he rejected passivity. He accepted responsibility. And he led courageously. God chose him on purpose. God chose Joseph on purpose because he said, this is the type of man, this is the type of father I'm looking for. This is the type of father I'm expecting. This is the type of father I created you humans to be like and to encourage to be like. This is a loving father. And so I believe, as we look at our world, where what are our problems today? Addiction is rampant. Unwed pregnancies is rampant. People are murdering each other. There are more single family homes with a single parent than there's ever been in the United States today. Something has happened. Something horrible has happened. Something horrible is happening. There's a lot of Adams, not a lot of Josephs. Do you know one of the most important things we can do as a church is encourage young men to become Josephs? Do you know one of the most important things we can be doing in this world is sharing the love of Christ so that young men can grow up to be godly men? Do you know the greatest gift we can give Jesus on his birthday is to pray for those young men and those older men and those fathers in our lives that they would be like Joseph, that they would reject passivity, that they would accept responsibility, and that they would lead courageously? Do you realize that's a much greater gift than any other gift you can consider right now? This is the gift Jesus is wanting us to give him on his birthday. He wants me as a father to live into this. He wants me as a father to pray this and teach this to my son. 
So he will be this one day. He wants me to pray for my father. So he will continue to be this. That's the gift he wants from us on Christmas. And it's not small and it's not easy. It's important and powerful. And the question is, how much time are we going to let pass? Today is the day we need to be moving forward and we need to be doing this. How do we apply this? Pray for the fathers in your life. Pray for them to be gifts and treasures for their families, that they would be leading and that they would not avoid their responsibility, that they would take action and be strong, that they would accept responsibility, they would lead courageously. Pray for future fathers, young boys that are growing up in a world that is filled with pornography, a world that is filled with devaluing women and devaluing people and just using them to get money and stuff. Pray for them. Because their reward is not a reward. It's destruction and despair. We need to be committed as a church to be praying for this. We need to be committed to the men of this area. We need to look at the men we drive by and the boys that we see and say, these are the ones that God wants us to reach. Because when we reach them, we bless the young girls, we bless the mothers, we bless the grandmothers. I've been in ministry full-time for 16 years. I've met a lot of wonderful, powerful women of the Lord. I will tell you, there seems to be a lack of strong, godly men. We need them. It's a pandemic. We can't overlook it. We can't ignore it. It's the responsibility of our time. What will we do? We did this event yesterday because we want to reach men. My prayer is that we can reach men with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we have to do it as a family. This is a mission that, that takes all of you. And it begins, if we're to do anything, the next step is to be twice born. You can't be a true father, you can't be a true husband, you can't be a true wife or mother or child until you're twice born. You're only physically alive, you're not spiritually alive. For us to be this, we must be filled with the Spirit of God. God leads us to these truths. He is the one who empowers us. It's not about me resisting sin, it's about the Holy Spirit within me helping me resist sin. It's about him leading through us, not us leading. He helps us accept responsibility. He helps us to do the greater good. And so we need to be spirit-filled and spirit-led. And we all, my encouragement, my challenge to everyone in this room, you have a father, you know a father, you have a grandfather, you know a grandfather, you know men in your world that need to be prayed for every single day. Some of them need to be prayed for so that that rock of a heart will be broken. Some of them need to be prayed for because that addiction in their life needs to be broken. Some of them need to be prayed for because they can lead and they're not. And the only way that's going to change is your prayer. That's the only way it's going to change. 
You're not going to talk them into it. You're not going to guilt them into it. Only the Holy Spirit of God can change their heart. And so we need to do that. We don't need to talk about it. We need to do it. Are you willing to make that commitment? Are you willing to really get serious about praying for the people in your life?